the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. I'm Pastor Guy. Welcome to the Passion Church. This is a church where we serve the true and the living God. He said everybody believes in a God, but we believe, we're confident and convinced that we're serving the true and the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. We'll get into the Word, into God's Word. Father, I thank you for this chance to come together today I thank you for the visitors that we have here they're so important to us I pray that we've made them feel loved the way you made us feel loved I pray that your presence is here like always Lord and your presence is fullness of joys or power to heal the power to set free to speak your word under the anointing as it as if it were coming from your very throne I pray that my mouth will be used for your glory today and that Every person has ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to them today. That it would be personal and that the words would make an impact and that we're not just going through some church emotion here today, that we're not just hearing a good sermon and going home and living the same way we've always lived, but we're here today to be changed, to put our faith into action like Brother Nicholas said. Because we're doers of the Word. We, we peop we're people who sense your presence and sense that in your presence is purpose and that we want to be people of purpose we want our lives to count we're tired of living by the TV guide Lord we're tired of going around the same old mountains we're people that are sensing something greater that you put on the inside of us and so father we just pray that you work it out that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened and we would know what is the hope of our calling before we leave here today Father, we purpose right now to open our ears and to receive in a new, more intimate way with you than we ever have before. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good, good. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We'll launch from there today. How many was here for the Sunday evening service last Sunday? Wow. Wow. I tell you what, some things got stirred up in the spirit there, didn't they? You got to hold on to those things. You got to make them real to you. You got to live them out. It ain't about talking a good game, is it? How many's tried talking a good game? That doesn't change much. Well, Colossians 2, chapter 2. Apostle Paul's talking to the church in Colossae. He says, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan. Which is Christ himself. 
boom, revelation. You're, you're searching for the mysteries of God. Yea, the deep things of God. I got to know God. What's it all about? There it is. The first scripture we turn to. It's Christ himself. He is what it's all about. Well, you're saying, well, I already knew that. It says, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm saying, that's just the word of God. What's it all about? What's the mystery? Why, why the mystery of God? So that someone, two young ladies today, someone would come along and discover Jesus who himself is God's mysterious plan, hidden from those who, who don't want to find him, so to speak. Did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Some of you are looking like you're still a little bit full and ready to take that nap, you know. <laughs> I ate good, I played good, we played games, and the next day I played golf. I really had a relaxing time. I'm just really, really ready to enjoy church today, aren't you? Amen. About 10 years ago, I guess it was, we had a Thanksgiving break, and, and I remember my kids were not as quite as big as they were, to, they are today. My son Joshua, he's what, 16 now? I guess he would have made him about six, and my daughter would have been around 10 or 11. But we decided, well, I decided, that I didn't want to just go through the motions of Thanksgiving. I wanted to do something fun, so I come up with a, a treasure hunt. And I got an old brown piece of paper and I crinkled it up and, and typed on it with some old English lettering and stuff, you know, and made the genuine, authentic, replica <laughs> Sheffield treasure map. And I gave it to the kids and said, y'all want to find some treasure? Oh boy, <laughs> you know, their eyes got big and, and Josh ran to his room to get his plastic sword. He was ready. You know, he was ready for an adventure. And I was glad. And for the next few hours, they would uncover one clue after the next. You know, one would be hidden under a couch, and they, they would get it, and they would have to solve the riddle to get to the next clue. Oh, that's in the backyard. And they would run there, you know, and they would have to answer a question, and, and they, they would have to think, you know. And, they, and so each step, they were working it out, you know, trying to get to the next step. And then finally, later in the afternoon, they got to what they thought was the last clue, and it said, go back behind the shed. And they took off, you know, slobber dangling out of Josh's mouth. He's so excited, you know, to get to that treasure. All day, the, the thought of that treasure had just been, i got to have it, you know. And so they got to the back of the shed there, and I had two shovels laid out for them. And they got those shovels, and they started digging, and, and they, dirt was flying all over the place. And, and finally, they hit some, tink, 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 there it is. And you should have seen them. They were so excited. And they ripped that little tin treasure box out, and they flipped the lid open. And they reached in there, and they grabbed its only contents, and it was uh, little Gideon's New Testament. <laughs> now, you got to know me and my daughter's relationship at that point. I was a new Christian, and maybe I was a little overzealous about <laughs> teaching her the, the Word stuff. You know, I was kind of a... A Christian maniac, you know, to my, my kids growing up. And, and at, Kaylee's thinking a treasure, you know, and she gets a new little New Testament. She's got a dozen of those in her drawer already, you know, and her left eye starts to twitch at me. And I alertly kick those shovels out of the way because I could tell she wanted to hit me in the head with one of them and cover me up in that hole. 
And she started to chunk that New Testament because that wasn't a treasure she was looking for. I said, hold on, honey, just wait a minute. Now. Hold on, turn to Colossians 2, 2. Well, she had been trained by that point to how to get through the Bible, so she did. She turned to Colossians 2, 2, and it was the scripture we just read that all the treasures are in Christ. I thought it was a great point. But Kaylee wanted to throw that Bible and her LFI was still twitching. But I said, hold on, honey, hold on now, just keep, keep looking. And, and then, oh, she saw it at the bottom of the Bible. It was handwritten. It was one last clue. And you know what it said? I'll tell you later. Thank you. <laughs> we'll get to that. That story's not finished. But we're going to talk about treasure today. You see what my children were doing? They were following exact instructions to get to a specific place, right? If they weren't go through the first clue, they wouldn't have found the second clue. They wouldn't have found the second clue, they wouldn't have found the third clue. If they didn't do the clues, would they have ever found the treasure? No. And I think that's what our Heavenly Father does with us. He enjoys a day of intrigue. He enjoys the journey. He likes to see every step of our progress, which is leading to a specific place because God always has purpose. If your life has no purpose and your, your greatest purpose you can think of is getting a job that makes a dollar more an hour, then you're missing the whole point of your existence. There is a God who created you just like you are for a specific purpose that he wants you to get to. It sure beats circling that same old mountain. Oh, here comes Monday again. And for, oh, it's almost Friday, but that just leads me closer to Monday. <laughs> right? I mean, who wants to live like that? And when we live like that without purpose and we're not living lean and free and, and chasing what God wants us to chase, we begin to accumulate a lot of baggage and cares of this world, get on our shoulders, and what happens? We get heavy laden and we need rest and we're crying out. And if we're Christians at all, we know that we're supposed to cast our cares on the Lord. So what do we do? Lord, I cast my cares on you. My heart's beating 150 beats a minute, you know. Lord, I cast my cares on you. We're just trying to get through today. It just gets where we're just trying to endure life. But we hear about this great peaceful life that Christians are supposed to have. The peace of God that passes all understanding, that keeps our heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Where's it at? And so we cast our cares, and we cast our cares and it doesn't even seem to work sometimes. We just say it. It's just a mantra. I cast my cares on you. I cast my cares. Can I show you a better way to cast your cares on the Lord? What if there was a way to cast your cares on the Lord that actually brought great peace? Well, you know where it says, 1 Peter, let's turn there, 1 Peter 5, 7. That's where it says, cast your cares on the Lord. So let's study this for a moment, okay? Is there anybody in here that doesn't have any cares that would like to share? <laughs> we're, we're open for suggestions, all right? First Peter 5, 7. Are you there? Say amen. 
If you're not there, it's, it's already there on the scripture for you. Go, to, go ahead and go to 7. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Right? That's where we get it from. We cast our cares on him. Because we know he loves us. We know he wants to help us. But how did we get to the point? How do we cast those cares? Now let's go back to verse 6, okay? How do we cast our cares? Humble yourselves. You know what that means? Think less highly of yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, think less of you and more of God. Less of your will, more of God's will. That's a big thing to do. That's hard to do. It requires humility. Because the world doesn't revolve around me. This isn't the world according to Garp or Guy. Amen? Humble myself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due season. It's a paradigm shift in your brain. It's a different way of looking at life. Maybe my, my will isn't really what I want after all. Maybe what my heart's really longing for is to do God's will, to do my destiny that I was created for. What if it isn't about money, RVs, boats, snowmobiles, and it doesn't even snow around here? I mean, what if it isn't about the stuff? Just a thought, you know. And it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. What is God's hand? God's hand points. God's hand directs. It leads to a specific place. It leads you to the treasure, to our destiny, right? After all, most of our worries, if you would be honest, what makes your heart flutter is I'm not doing it right. What if I mess this up? What if, what if my kids don't turn out? What if, I'm not, what if I'm not giving them the, the life that they deserve? What if, I, what if somebody catches me doing this? What if I'm found out? All those things are what brings those, that tremendous amount of worry into our lives. When we're not following God's plan and we're doing our plan. We're worried we're going to mess things up. If we would simply humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and do his will, we eliminate that. If you're doing God's will, that is casting your cares on Jesus. You're saying, okay, Jesus, your plan is best and I'm going to follow it. And now I can lay my head on the pillow at night and go to sleep and I ain't worried about a thing. If things fall apart, it's your fault, Jesus. Because I have done what you asked me to do. Great peace comes in believing. Great peace comes with obedience. I'm telling you, once you taste of this, you won't ever want to sin again. It just brings, you start recognizing where the turmoil is coming from. I think somebody would, would say amen if they wasn't saying oh me. <laughs> obedience takes the pressure off of your life. And then once you begin to trust God, you begin to realize even if bad things do happen, hey, all things are working together for my good. I can trust him he's going to bring me out of this. I've already got the victory. So you can, that's how you see these Christians even enduring persecution and bad things 
and death and stuff, destruction all around them. A thousand may fall in my left hand and 10,000 in my right, but it shall not come nigh me. I can stand in the midst of the storm because I know I'm doing all that I can to stand. Haven't done all to stand. Stand. You see how all these scriptures really work together? They just don't work good without the obedience part. You know, Jesus was at the wedding. They ran out of wine. Mary said, Jesus, I know you can do something. He said, ain't my time, mama. Ain't my time yet. This ain't, this way, ain't the way I want to get started. What's she saying? John 2, 5, his mother said unto the servants, whatever he saith unto you, do it. Say, just do it. That's the best mini-sermon ever preached right there. That's it in a nutshell. You're dismissed. Whatever Jesus says, just do it. Why? She had been with him long enough to know that whatever he says is what you need to do. Today's message, if you're, you're filling out your sheets, is entitled, Just Do It. That was just all the warm-up. We ain't even got to the message yet. Jesus said, I live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Isn't that what he said? Whatever my Father says, I just do it. Do you know that the Father said the same thing about Jesus? He tells us, whatever Jesus says, just do it. You say, well, where does he say that? I didn't see that part. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? That was when Jesus took James and John and Peter up on the high mount where nobody else was around, and he let them see him in the fullness of his glory. He was transfigured into the fullness of, I mean, I don't know if it was the fullness of his glory, but it was enough to surprise them. And they saw Jesus in some of his glory at least. And he was talking with Moses and Elijah. And old Peter, man, he's freaking out. He never seen nothing like that. He blah, 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 blah. And Peter just didn't know when to just be quiet and watch. You know, he, he wasn't, that wasn't his personality. He always had to say something. You know, he always had to interject something, even if it wasn't right. He's like, uh, whoa, this is cool. Let's, let's make a tent. Y'all, a tent? We'll make a tent for Moses, one for Jesus, and one for Elijah. That sounds good. He's just throwing out ideas. That's the way most of us live our life. We're just throwing out ideas. <laughs> but this is what the Father said. In Matthew 17, 5, it says, While he yet spake, Jesus, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud. Who do you think that was? It was the Father, right? Behold, a voice out of the cloud which says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's saying, This Jesus that you're beholding, he is who he says he is. He is my son. He is God. And in him, I am well pleased. Because he pleases me perfectly. And what does he finish the sentence with? Hear ye him. Listen to what he says. And just do it. (laughs) Y'all want to be my hear ye him crowd over here today? Say, hear ye him. him. Y'all want to be the just do it? Just do it. Hear ye him. All right, we're going to preach today. 
That's a good sermon on the way. The hear ye hymns and the just do it. That's simple, isn't it? God's not trying to complicate all this. You know, I was in court one time and the bailiff said, hear ye, hear ye. And I said, I hear ye. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I would have gotten contempt of court, but I wanted to say that. It just would have been funny, but I didn't. Did, did anybody see the movie The Case for Christ? It was out here recently. I don't know how long it stayed in the big movie theaters. You know, they don't give Christian movies much a chance. But I, I'm pretty sure you can buy it on DVD now. But it's a true story. And it was written by a man named Lee Strobel. He, he wrote a book. And there's a scene in the movie, and it's, of course it's a, tr it's a true event and how it came about, where Lee Strobel took his wife and his little daughter to this restaurant. And his little daughter's eating and gets choked on something. And she can't breathe. And so they don't know what to do. And they're hitting her on the back and they're laying her down and saying, and she, she's turning blue. And there's, help, anybody help. And there's nobody for a few seconds. And then comes this nurse, comes running in. She says, I got this. Let me have the child. And I guess she begins to do the Heimlich or whatever. And she's pumping on the little girl to get her to, to spit up this whatever lodged in her throat. And finally she does. And so the little child's like, <gasps> gets her breath back. And she says, she's fine. She'll be fine. Just have her breathe, you know. And they're hugging their little girl. And they were practically in tears, Lee Strobel and his wife. And the wife says, I don't know what we'd have done. And the lady says, I'm a nurse, you know. I don't know what we'd have done if you wouldn't have been here. It's, we're so lucky that you were here. And the lady says, ma'am, it ain't luck. She said, me and my husband were on our way to another restaurant. And we felt like the Lord told us we needed to come here tonight. Okay, so they were obedient. And they were able to save the little girl's life. Well, Lee Strobel was a big-time atheist. He didn't want nothing to do with Christianity. And his wife, she didn't know one way or another. But she heard that story about God telling that nurse to be at that restaurant, and she wanted to know more, so she talked more with that lady later on. And that lady began to minister to her Christ. And, and Lee Strobel's wife got saved. I mean saved. I'm talking about real saved. Where, where, where she goes to church and stuff. And lives out her Christianity. Not just a mental belief, but I mean a heart change. And so she's living it out, and Lee Strobel's like mad. He's like, this ain't the woman I married. She don't want to party with me. She don't cuss anymore. I don't, I don't even feel at home in my own house. He's mad. Well, Lee Strobel's this journalist. I think he works at one of the big-time newspapers in New York or something. I mean, he's, he's a good journalist. He decides he's going to disprove Christianity so he can show her this stuff you're believing ain't right. And so he begins to research. He said, I'm going straight for the juggler. I'm going to disprove that Jesus was raised from the dead. If I can disprove that, that'll disprove the whole shebang. So he started hitting every point he could think of in his journalist's mind. And so he's going all over the country finding experts to, so he can disprove that Christ was raised from the dead so he can show his wife that she's believing some falsehood and he can get her back into heathenry with him. <laughs> well, what does he do? You know what he does. You can't disprove something that's a proven fact. He finds out that it's all real. He gets saved. Hallelujah. There's been people trying to disprove the Bible and everything about it for years and years, and they end up becoming Christians. Why? Because it's true. All right, so he gets saved, and he writes a book called The Case for Christ. I want you to know 
over 5 million copies have been sold of The Case for Christ. Maybe you've read it. They made a movie about it. I don't know how many more lives have been touched by his story and the things and the, and the things that he learned while trying to disprove Christ that he learned about Christ that were true. Lives, hundreds of thousands possibly touched. May, who knows how many people saved? And if you trace it back, where did it start? With one little nurse who got one instruction from God and went, I don't even want to go to that restaurant. We were going, I was looking forward to seafood or whatever. But, but sent, at your word, God, I'm going to go to this restaurant. Do you see how it works? You don't get to the next clue. You don't get to the next step without being first obedient where you're at. Say, hear ye him. Amen, you're getting it. Woo! Christianity, it's not a formula. We want to make it formulas. Christianity is simple obedience. Simple obedience. It's not five steps to this, ten keys to that. I mean, that's the way we write our, our articles in our Christian magazines and stuff. But it's not. It's just simply hearing or reading the Word of God and obeying. How did Jesus heal? You remember Jesus' formula for healing, right? He would come up. He would lay hands and kick a rabbit up out of that hair. No. He would, no that's a lot of hair. No. He would always lay his hand on their head. And then he would make the sign of the cross. And he would speak the exact same words. And then he would say, in Jesus' name, in my name. Is that the way he healed? No. Sometimes he would lay hands on it. Sometimes he would speak to the sickness. Sometimes he would rebuke the fever. Sometimes he would send his word to heal them. One time he dug up some mud and wiped it in a fella's eyes. Now, that'll get you in trouble if he don't, if he don't get healed. But, but he had faith. And what he, what he was doing was he was being obedient to the Father. He would do exactly what the Father showed him to do. There was not a formula. It was obedience. Jesus said, I do what I see the Father do. And the Bible says that Jesus had the Holy Spirit without measure. I mean, he had all the Holy Spirit that he wanted. And that's how he was able to do these great miracles. And you're saying, well, that's not fair. I mean, he's God. He... No, he left his glory in heaven to come down to be born as a man. He's fully God, but he's fully man. And he's operating in the same power that we're told to operate in. He said, the works I do, greater works than these shall you do, because I go to the Father and I send the Holy Spirit. So he was operating through the Holy Spirit just as we're supposed to, as mere human beings, and he's doing miracles. Why does he have the Spirit without measure? Well, that's not fair. He's got it without measure. We don't. Well, Acts 5.32 says, We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey 
him. No power in your life? Probably little obedience in your life. God's not going to give his authority and power to somebody who's not obeying him that will use it for bad purposes if not if he if he isn't you know I mean you're going to give your kid the keys to your car there's seven here go to the store and give me some <laughs> no they're not ready for that authority yet are they not ready for that power but once they show obedience for a, a series of years then the trust is given then the freedom is given right the holy spirit is given by god to those who obey him this is on your sheet if you want to fill in the little thing. God always did what Jesus asked because Jesus always did precisely what the Father asked. They were working together. Wouldn't you rather work together with God than against him? Let's talk about Marks. M-A-R-K-S, Marks. Because God may ask incredible things of us. He may say, Holly, I want you to move that mountain. And Holly may say, I'm going to a different church. <laughs> God may ask incredible things of us. What he asks of us is probably something that we can't even imagine ourselves doing. But he usually doesn't ask us to move the mountain all at once. He usually may leave a couple shovels out for us and tell us where to get started. Right? Marks. It isn't so much about the destination. God loves the journey. He loves the marks along the way. Philippians 3.14 says, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, there's a mark. We're all reaching for the high prize. We're all wanting the prize at the end. The kids wanted the prize, the treasure box. They just would rather skip all the, the treasure map, wouldn't they? But they had to learn to press toward the mark. And I always use the bowling alley because I cannot think of anything better than this. It really brought it home to me. But I used to see the pins down at the end, and I would aim for them and bowl. And it would go in the gutter. But then somebody said, you see those little arrows about 10 yards down? Find one of them and line it up and then throw the ball at that arrow. Arrow. Is that, is that Mississippi? And Arrow. <laughs> and so when I began to use those arrows, <laughs> it would get down to the end. And it would go where I wanted it to go. What are those arrows? <laughs> marks. They're Marks. And see, God gives us marks. If you're wanting to, say, you want to lose 100 pounds, that's your goal for this year. Well, for the first month, you may set a goal of 10 pounds. And if you reach that mark, you're encouraged to try again next month, right? And by the end of the thing, you may lose 120 pounds if you meet all those marks by the end of the year, right? But... Marks are given so that we can celebrate the journey. So that we can rejoice in the trip, giving to the big mountain-moving ceremony. Like on your GPS in your car, if you're, say you're, 
You said it, I'm going to Nashville. And you get to Jackson, that's a mark on your GPS. You're saying, well, I know I'm, I'm on the way. I'm getting there. It makes you feel good about the trip. Unless, of course, you find you're in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> and then you might say, oh, I need to recalculate. I've got off course. And I need my God positioning system to get me back on track. Now, we got young Chandler here. What are you, Chandler, 15? He's 12? No, he's 15. But he already knows in his heart that God has called him to ministry work. I think it's like, like a pastor or something. I'm not sure. Okay, so he already knows. That's a mountain. That is a mountain in a young man's life. God doesn't usually call somebody unless they're able to handle it. He doesn't tell you the end usually unless it'll help you. Most people, that wouldn't help. Most people, that would freak them out. But Chandler is of the persuasion that he can handle it. And in fact, if you talk to Chandler, he wants to be the pastor of his own church by the time he's 16. <laughs> yeah. now, he doesn't say that, but his actions, he, he's living like that's what he wants to do. But let me tell you, Chandler, there's a lot of marks between here and pastoring your own church. But there's a lot of joy in the learning. There's a lot of growing to do. And God wants to walk that out with you. Who was it? Joe and, and Megan got a word from the Lord Sunday night. Well, you got a word from somebody who heard from the Lord. Okay, let me say this. Sometimes people can prophesy over you and just miss it. So you got to confirm in your heart that it's from the Lord. Okay, so... Sometimes the Lord will use other people to speak into your life, but you got, it's got to, to resonate with you. Now, does that mean you just rush out and jump into the first thing? No, pray it out. Say, God, what is my first mark? What is my first step to get there? I was, doing, I was asked by the Lord this past week to do something that was so hard. I'm going to tell you, pastoring is a wonderful job most of the time. But sometimes you got to do the tough stuff. And I was asked to do something I did not want to do because it was going to shake, ruffle feathers. It's going to cause reverberations around the world, or at least in my world. And I didn't want to do it. But the Lord confirmed it to me with a dream. Next day, my wife is, comes to me. I got this that I wanted to share with you. And I knew, and I knew, that I knew. I got, I got in a word, and it was right there. It's like, oh my goodness, God is really asking me to do this. Didn't want to do it. So what did I do? But I know I got to be obedient to God. I know that. I've been too far with it. I know I got to do it. So I begin to think, okay, I'm going to do that, but it's going to cause this to happen. So when, it, when that happens, I'm going to go ahead and set up this, and I'm going to be working over here to get this ready when all these people do this. And I began to this whole shebang of planning all these things that I got to do if I do the one thing God asked me to do. And I overwhelmed myself. And I was, I was Lord, I cast my cares on you. Lord, I cast my cares on you. My heart beating 150 beats a minute. Lord, I cast my cares. He said, son, what did I ask you to do? I said, you told me to do this one thing. He said, just do that. Hmm. Well, I felt better. I can do that one thing. 
I can leave the rest in God's hands. I don't have to bring the future into today. Sufficient is the worry of today. You don't need the, the trouble of tomorrow in my life yet. This is a one day, one mark at a time kind of life. Our cares are coming because we're trying to drag the future into our present existence. Or we're trying to brag up the past. So you know what I did? I did the one thing. Now if I'm not here tomorrow, you know. But it... I can sleep because I know I obeyed God. I would, I'd rather sleep knowing I've shook up the whole world and obeyed God than won the whole world and disobeyed God. There's great peace. Say, hear ye him. That's all it is. Hear ye him and just do it. You know, it can be so tempting to run out ahead. And make things happen. We go-getters, that's what we do. Or some of us, we hear the, a plan and we let it overwhelm us and we run from God. Go-getters try to make it happen in their own strength and, and, and the other people get overwhelmed and don't do it. And either way, it's not God's plan. God wants to live this out with us. He gives us specific directions at specific times, and he's, he says, do this, and we'll rejoice together. Okay, you've done that. Now let's do this, and we'll rejoice together. Well, God, tomorrow, I'm going to, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. We ain't got there yet. You know what humans do? They live in the now. Are you living somewhere else? What kind of drugs are you on? Are you not here right now? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is. Christians live in the now. He wants us to enjoy the process of life, to find satisfaction in every step of obedience. You know that heaven is already within you? We're striving so many times for something that all, we already have. We just hadn't learned to operate in it yet. We're supposed to work out this salvation we got it in here, but we're trying to work everything else around. We're trying to work the world. God says work the heart. Man. Somebody's probably thinking to themselves, well, I don't hear from God. They're probably sitting there with 66 books laid across their lap. Yes, you do hear from God. If you want to. He didn't write this book to, to Richard Parvin only. He wrote it to everybody. And God, God's plan for your life is hidden in these pages. Namely, in Christ, where all the mysteries and treasures are hidden. In your relationship, in getting to know Him, getting, learning to hear from Him. It always comes back to that relationship, doesn't it? You have a treasure map, folks. Man, that one I tried to make look old, you know, I wrinkled it up and burned the edges or whatever, but the treasure map you have was written 2,000 years ago. Some of it 6,000 years ago. Okay, so you don't have a specific word for your life right now. But kingdom living begins with simple obedience to God's word. You start doing what you know to do, then you start getting further instructions. Does that make sense? 
David. When he became king, right after King Saul, you know, that fiasco, God put David as king. David said, you know what? We need to bring the ark of God's presence, the ark of the covenant, we need to bring it back home. You know where the ark of God's presence, you know God put himself in a box so that he could be with his people. And his people completely forgot about him. They left him at some dude's house. Can you imagine coming over to this guy's house? Yeah, I got God down in the basement. I mean, that's where most of us carry God, in our basement somewhere. And so, David said, we need to bring the ark home. So he got him a couple oxen, got a few priests, and he got all of Israel and said, come on, let's go get him. And they went to, to the dude's house, and they pulled the ark out, and they put it on this new cart that they had built, and the priests are riding their oxen back home, taking the Ark of the Covenant, and David's out there dancing, ready to celebrate. We're bringing God back home. But along the way, one of the oxen stumbles, and one of the priests named Yuza, he reached back to steady the ark so it didn't fall off, and it zapped him. The holiness of God zapped him. He wasn't supposed to touch the ark, and it killed him dead. And David got mad. What in the world, God? We're trying to bring you back home, and you killed one of our priests. That's not right. And God's like, good intentions ain't enough, David. What about obedience? Good intentions ain't enough. So David had to calm down. They put the ark back in another guy's house. They went and studied this out. You know what David did? He went and got in the Word. He said, let's pull the scriptures out and see how we're supposed to carry God's presence. Obviously, it ain't on a cart. So he studied it out and found out that they were supposed to put acacia poles through the ark. And the priests were supposed to carry it on their shoulder. He went back and guess what? The next time, he was able to bring God's presence home. Our good intentions ain't enough. You're never going to be able to bring God's presence home to you until you're obedient to God's word without holiness what no man will see God you got to begin to do what you know to do you ain't even stepped into the first part of God's treasure map for your life until you begin to just do what you know to do some of you are different levels in your Christianity you don't know what the word of God says but you're obeying what you do know and that's more pleasing to God than some of you have been sitting here for 30 years and know everything about the Word of God, but only do what you want to do. General obedience, doing what you know to do, will put you in position to hear the more detailed instructions needed to help you hone in on your personal calling. So you start with what you know, then you're probably going to begin to hear more personal instruction. Some of you want to come to me like I'm going to prophesy over you and tell you what job to take, what woman to marry, and all this. I don't know. <laughs> it ain't my job to know. You got to hear from God for yourself. I can encourage you to do God's Word. Now, if you're way off track according to the Word, I can tell you that. But when it comes to your specifics, if you don't dig deep, you will never know. 
And if you're waiting for me to tell you, you will never know. <laughs> I don't even want to tell you. <laughs> it's not my job. Obedience is not the key to our success. It is our success. Let's talk about the difference between Saul and David a moment. Y'all remember Saul was king and God asked him to set apart this town for destruction, go in there and fight these guys and I want you to wipe them out because they've been evil and they're no good. And I don't want you to even let their animals live. I want you to wipe them out. Well, Saul, he goes to the battle. He likes winning the battle, but he thought, well, I'll bring some of these cattle back home for myself. There's no sense putting them to waste, you know. Do you know partial obedience is not obedience at all? You say, well, God, I see where it says this and this, and I like that part. I'm going to do that. But I know your other part over here says that. I just don't believe that. That's not the Jesus I believe in. You know what you've just did? You just created for yourself an unknown God. Jesus is who he says he is, or, he, or you're making up something. You're creating for yourself an idol. Everything that Jesus says is who Jesus is. This is. He is the Word. You can't pick and choose and say, well, I, I don't know why I always pick on homosexuality, but that seems to be the thing in society today where people say, well, you know, the polls say 60% of people think that homosexuals should be able to get married. And so I got homosexual friends and I love them. And they're good people. And yes, they are. And I love them too. But I love them enough to tell them God's plan for marriage is between a man and a woman. And it will never change. I don't care what the opinion polls say. God's word is God's word. God's word says to love everybody. Speak the truth in love. If you care, you got to speak the truth. That's a hole. I shouldn't even open that can there. But partial obedience is not obedience at all. If you're mad at me right now because I said that, then that's between you and God. It's not between me and you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because it's black and white. Saul tried to use God to get Saul's way. He liked the limelight. He liked that God made him king. He wanted to look good before the people, even after the, the priest came and said, Saul, you've sinned greatly against God, and God's going to take the kingdom away because you wasn't obedient. He said, well, that's okay, but would you come with me before the people and make it look good before them? See, Saul was like so many of us. We just want to live enough of God so that it looks like we're godly, but really we don't care anything about God's will. We're building our kingdoms. And when God's word inter intervenes with where our kingdom is being built, we say, it's my way. Like Elvis, I did it my way. And we, we construct a new God to fit the mold that we want to live. 
And that's the way Saul was trying to do. His best attempts at obedience were just for show. He really didn't want God's will. He wanted his will. He wanted to use God as a, a magic genie. Man, if I pray this prayer and I, believe, I have faith in my faith, then God will do exactly what I want. It's not how it works. God's not here to do exactly what we want. We're here to do exactly what God wants. Man, I, I don't know why we're preaching so good today. But we're just knocking over a bunch of sacred cows. But David, now you can look at David's life and say, man, he was no saint. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. He did all kind of bad things. He's no good example. But the one thing David did was when he sinned, he felt bad about it. And he ran to God and not away from God. He kept running to God. Why? Because his heart was to do God's will ultimately. He was a knucklehead like the rest of us. And he made mistakes. But he repented of those mistakes. And he kept trying to do right. I don't think God gets so upset about people who, that have the right heart that make mistakes as he does of those who just trying to cover it up and have no intention of doing God's will in the first place. David wanted to see God's will be done. He enjoyed the presence of God. David said in Psalms 4-7, you've given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. In other words, those who are drinking it up and have plenty to eat, they think they're enjoying life, you've given me greater joy than that. They think they're getting their harvest. They think, man, this is, this is life. This is living it up. He said, you've given me greater joy than that. And in Acts 13, it says God removed Saul. And he replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Most of us just stop right there. But that sentence goes on. He will do everything I want him to do. Say obedience. obedience. Hear ye him. See, he will do everything I want him to do. If, when, when God, David would try to do some things because his flesh wanted to do it, and he would do some bad things, but then God would approach him, he wouldn't say, well, God, I didn't do that. I, uh, and he wouldn't run from God. He'd say, I have sinned against the Lord. I'm sorry. It's not my heart. I'm, my flesh got the better of me. I lost that battle, but I'm not going to lose this war. I am for the Lord. He will do everything I want him to do. I'm not, the Lord doesn't expect you to be a perfect person, but he expects you to have a perfect heart towards him. And he can work with the rest. He can work with you where you're at. So we were there, and I had just kicked the shovels out of the way, but Josh was ready to hit me with that plastic sword <laughs> because all they had was this New Testament. But I said, keep reading. And so she read at the bottom, it says, go around front and look under the leaves. <laughs> they high-tailed it around front. You've never seen kids run so fast in all your life. They dug up under those leaves, and there was a bigger treasure box. And they opened the lid, and it was filled with candy and beads and necklaces and, and little matchbox cars and all these toys. And they were, oh, hallelujah, we found the promised land. And they were shouting and jumping for joy. And I, I admit, man, it was cool to see their faces so excited. They had found the treasure. 
And it was wonderful. I rejoiced with them because they had, they had worked hard to get there. But you know what? In a couple of hours, all the candy was eaten. I'm still finding matchbox cars out in the front yard. And the, the beads and necklaces were thrown in the garbage after a time. And all that stuff has disappeared. But I believe what they found in that first treasure box... That word of God was their true treasure. That was the true treasure that should stay with them the rest of their life so that it is a continual feast. It is a continual celebration. Life becomes more than just a bunch of trinkets and sweets that this world has to offer. God's not against trinkets and sweets. But it can't be our sole purpose in life. That He'll give us the desires of our heart. He'll change our heart. You know what David did? He got his priest zapped <laughs> that first time, couldn't get the ark home, but he tried again. He got into the Word of God, and he said, you know what? We're going to live this out right. If we want to bring God home, where he needs to be, we're going to have to do it God's way. You know, sometimes we shun God's will. We neglect his presence. We act like Saul, and we chase after the trinkets and the sweets. But the good news is we can be like David. We can try again. We can change our focus. David didn't give up. Even when he didn't like what God had to say, there's things in your life you don't like. What I don't like God making me do this like this. This isn't my way. I would rather do it this. I would like to do that. I don't get to party. I'm all my friends, this, that, that, that. That's not God's way. And I know if, if I follow God, I'm going to miss all that, and I'm going to be giving up on something. Man, you're chasing fool's gold. The devil's saying, here, take this. But it's trinkets compared to the joy of your salvation. Compared to the real sense of purpose and destiny that you could be living in. And you're trading it for a temporary high. Medicating your mind. Indulging in sexual sin or flesh. Which all it does is create more commotion in your heart, more trouble for your life. The wages of sin is death and it's killing us all. But God wants you to live. One day at a time. One foot in front of the other. One clue. One mark. Yes! made a mark. Then you begin to see, oh man, this feels good following the Lord. You'll be like me, you'll never want to go back. You don't, can't stand to lay your head on the pillow at night not being at peace with God. Just can't stand it. That's true life, my friend. I don't know why I was... I put a sign out front, you know, the one you see at the street every Sunday morning. Went out there, set the sign up, and there was garbage all over the place a towel and cans and stuff all out there and I felt like well God wouldn't want me to leave all that out here 
So I went to pick it up, and I got gathered two or three things up, and I looked over there, and somebody had thrown out a dirty diaper. So instead of picking it all up, I kicked it into the ditch. And I said, I got my standards. Good night. I'm not picking that up. Got back in my truck and began to drive down the, the road here to, back to the church. The Lord says, your standards? I said, all right. <laughs> Turn around. And I went back and picked up a dirty diaper and put it on the back of my truck and drove it over here to the garbage can. <laughs> Why do I tell this story? I don't know. But I can tell you, there would be something missing in my heart right now if I didn't do the little things God asked me to do. I would not have the confidence to stand up here and tell you, you can do it if I won't do it. It's in the little things. Now I feel good about it. I wash my hands and everything. I want you to know God loves you. He just wants to be there with you through this whole journey. He just wants you to get a, a new vision, a new understanding of why you're here. He wants to walk it out with you every step, just like I was, brought me great joy to, to be with my kids that day on Thanksgiving. And see them, the joy in their eyes every time they would guess the clue right. Oh, it's going to be over there. Do you think God really needs us for anything? I think he just wants to use us. He could do it on his own, but he wants to include us. That's what family does. And so we get so overwhelmed and worked up. We're about to freak out and all this. But God's saying, just stay with me. Walk this out with me. Though a thousand may fall at your left hand and ten thousand at your right, it shall not come nigh thee. You can live under, in the secret place of the Most High. You can dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.